Hey, Printhousers, welcome back to the Printhousers podcast. I'm your host, Bruce from Printavo. Thanks for joining us every Thursday. We've got a new episode for you guys. We've got Mr. Matt Marcotte. It's technically his day off. And Stephen Farrig out of Campus Inc. That was a good intro, Bruce. That was One solid. Take. That was and, and you know, concise. You've been practicing thinking, in the mirror. I'm just trying to say it faster and faster. We just uh, I was just in Portland and I and I did a on premise podcast with uh, Pacific North Press and I said it in all like a half a second. And I was like, nobody's gonna understand this. Producer Chris, if you could That's if you okay. could blooper reel all of Bruce's intros and outros together. <laughs> I would greatly enjoy it, and then put like a beat behind that, like smooth flow he just dropped at the beginning of this one, just to just to do a, a back and forth. Yeah, there's yeah. <laughs> Chris is back asleep. Do you know it's how many t- how Coast. many times we've heard the intro and outro? It's like, oh, we'll do it again. Uh, we'll do it again. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, it's like free throw shooting. You know, it, probably seventy percent or sixty percent of from the line. Forty percent of the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, um, what are you doing? It's actually your day off today, but you joined us for the podcast. What do you got going on the rest of the day? Yeah, so I actually uh, haven't seen my little brother since uh, he's eight years younger than me, so pretty big age gap. Uh, but I haven't seen him since uh, Thanksgiving of 2019, so pre-COVID. Uh, he moved to Colorado a couple of years ago just to kind of go find himself, like I think everybody who does that goes to Colorado. Um, so I haven't seen him in quite <laughs> some California, time. Or California, if you're Bruce. True, true. <laughs> um, so yeah, actually going to leave here, go scoop him, uh, take him take him over to Sound and Fury, uh, hang out with him for a bit. I uh, got some, some lunch plans, run around, and then later on we got uh, dinner plans, take him get some sushi and... Uh, Hang out with the the, the misses and the, the kiddos, so it should be a, a fun fun bonding day with the little bro. That sounds be fun. Cool. Yeah. You um you actually did an interesting webinar with Corey Beal about on data dashboards, uh, Pentaba mm. University. I've seen some clips from. Any interesting tidbits from that? He's like measuring screens used. What, what like what was the couple KPIs they were trying to pull from? So the main thing you're trying to figure out is, you know, when you're like, okay, I got a stack of like 12 screens, I need to restretch, either send out or restretch. The, the, the age old, okay, well, what should I stretch them to be, right? And you kind of got a gut feeling of like, oh, I'll probably do mostly 230s and then maybe like a couple 156s, but it was kind of all over the place. Uh, so what he did is figured out, okay, let's actually track how many screens I'm using and how frequently, and then I can actually get a real number of, 60% needs to be 230s, 20% needs to be 1 for 6s, based off of how many times they go through reclaim. Um, so now the guesswork goes away from it. He literally has a dashboard showing a pie chart of all of his screens, what the breakout is of usage, and now all he has to do is match that usage to the screen inventory, and he can actually lower his overhead of how many screens he has to have, and how he's using panels too, so how many panels he actually has to order and hold into inventory. So it took the guesswork right out of it, and he can also keep track of how many times, not only each screen's being reclaimed, but how many screens are being reclaimed daily. So it's it's a great wow. KPI, uh, and it's a, a fun, different way to think about it. And it's one of those things where, honestly, I was like, well, I mean, you can kind of just look at it and go, well, we probably just need to get more of those, and maybe you're right, but being sure of it, and then practicing also the two-second lean and like just actually finding it out, reducing waste, Massive, massive update. So it's it's fun, and I think he's really, really adopted that that lean mentality. Um, and I mean, you watch his Instagram like every day. He's doing something else to try to cut either physical waste or time waste. Um, so it was it was fun getting to kind of uh, jump inside the mind of Corey Beal, which is a, a, a fun one to say the least. That's really cool because 
I don't think the average shop cares about that, but it scales, meaning as as Corey's shop gets bigger or as he starts to maybe maybe he's not doing that role again or he has someone else doing it, he can put repeatable tasks in there and then he can measure it. And I don't think I don't know how much measurement shops really do. Right? Like not we enough. talked about <laughs> Michelle Moxley and what, what she does or what she had done um, in, in the shop to eliminate waste. And it's like, we talked about this last week. We don't measure enough things. And then when we don't measure enough things, we're trapped there with the problems of it. It's like they're handcuffed to us. So even something as simple as, as, as this, re- I mean, it's a pretty, pretty intricate dashboard, to say the least. Mm-hmm. But you could use it for a lot of other use cases in your shop. You know? Oh, 100, 100, we were talking about like where, how he could iterate on that. And like the natural one that came to my mind is every time, every like fifth or sixth time that screen gets scanned, have it like pop up the notification saying, hey, check the tension. And that way, you know, every so many times tension's being checked, you quickly check the tension, it's good or it's bad. You can now allocate that separately. So there's no guesswork of like, okay, is tension an issue? If you get to the problem where like your screens aren't lining up and it looks like garbage, it's too late. Right now, you're gonna have to take them all down, figure out where the issue is, uh, or just do a really good guessing game. So there's so many ways you can iterate on that process and uh, cut big time waste. Spending a little bit of time in the front end checking that tension, but with a nice repeatable process, cuts the massive waste of it getting to press and being way too late. More consumables have been used, time have been used. It's it's been set up on press, way too late to fix that. So yeah, I think it's very very scalable, and there's a lot of ways you can quickly evolve from that. So it was fun to see. I was I was reading something about an Amazon warehouse. I don't know, Bruce. Maybe you sent me the Amazon tour. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. But the, still my bucket the, list. One of the things that um, that I thought was so interesting is they take the guesswork out of which box the shippers should use. Right? There's like ten sizes of boxes, and literally based on the product, like there is absolutely no guesswork because they said if they relied on the employees to just pick their favorite. They would waste so much on just like bigger boxes or boxes that were underpacked or overpacked or whatever. And so it's completely calculated that you will always take this box for this type of product. And I think when you take the guesswork out of your shop, even the common sense as to which box to use, it really is like a liberating experience um, because it's, it's, you don't rely on common sense. And I think. That's one of the hardest things that I deal with is I think that people in my shop know exactly what's going on in my brain like all the time. And when they don't, it's frustrating, right? Like, Bruce, you were just at a shop um, in Oregon that was pretty automated. Tell us about that. Yeah, we have a, uh, we have a new hire in Portland, a uh, senior engineer. Woo. Super yeah. pumped about. Um, I should have used my soundboard. <laughs> Um, no, we're, we're really excited about it. So I went up there, uh, wanted to spend two days with him, just showing him around the shop. We bring everybody around screen printing shop. We used to actually send them to the Ryanet class, uh, that two-day class, but uh, with COVID, obviously, it stopped. But um, went up there, and then I was just – Instagramming is so amazing because you could just post out, and you just get all of – like anywhere you go, there's a shop around, and someone will recommend it. Um, so we went to Oregon Screen Impressions, I think it was four or five auto shop, a lot of fulfillments, a lot of uh, bagging and tagging. They have that, that uh, like rock uh, you know, folder and then it uh, goes through the bag and then there's a, it puts a sticker on it for the size. And um, 
you know, it's just kind of like what we were talking about last week is they, they also do so many things manually. Like they copy a lot of data into an Excel sheet and then print that out and then put one copy here, one copy there. And then, um, the full embroidery department, similar thing, but, uh, they, they definitely try to be as optimized as possible. I actually think, uh, Ryanette's headquarters is nearby there and I got to visit their warehouse and record a video about lean um, stuff that they do. I think that was actually really, really impressive. So there's a couple things that I that I saw and you guys, the video will come out soon, but um, first of all, they've taken all of the warehouse and they've moved it around according to how much products sell. So if the shipping department's over here, all of these products are the most popular products. And then the least popular products are further away. So people that are picking are constantly, for the most part, picking around the areas that are closest to the shipping department. Um, the other thing that they've done is they have, uh, they assemble Riley Hopkins presses there. And for assembly, you know, they've tried to reduce as much inventory as possible, but that's kind of bitten them in the butt a little bit and they've stocked up more on just because it was hard to get stainless steel they mentioned uh with supply chain stuff but they for each assembly they've moved them into carts kind of like two second lean right where it's like you have each cart is a station with everything on it and so the cart will have all of the tools necessary to complete the press for that job there and it has wheels on it and what's really cool is each little bucket has bolts in it and you know, like when you open a bag or an Ikea couch and you've got like this bag and it's got all the bolts and screws and it's just a mess. Well, the bolts needed go from left to right. And so you know that I have to grab this one first and it says how many to grit. And then the next one is I have to grab this one. And so it keeps going down the row. So you're never, ever looking for stuff. Then they also took I'm just totally spoiling this whole video. Then they also took the uh, so every drill that needs like every drill bit has its own screwdriver so you're never changing um uh like electric screwdrivers it's just like there's five screwdrivers hanging all labeled with what the bit is in there so you could pull it off right off the rack and just start using it um and then the other thing that was kind of neat is behind every bin whether the stock or whether like raw materials is another bin that's full so that you can always grab. So there's never a time when you're like reaching in and you're empty. And then when that first bin is empty, you put it on top and that's a sign for the manager when they come around, they grab all the empty bins and refill them and then put them back behind. So you're always stocked that way too. And then on all the shelves, there's more stock. Like that's where the, all the extra stock is. So it's higher up. And so every Friday they go, they grab it and then they um, bring it down. So... Oh, and then the last thing I, I'm slowly remembering all this is there's a uh, also a big whiteboard, a couple of them around the shop, and it says what bugs you, and you just write down like stuff that as it comes to you, so you don't have to like fix it or anything then, but just like d don't forget about it, so we can talk about it, and then you write it down. So it was just interesting, especially as we've all read the two second lean book and are starting to talk about data stuff about how this looks like being implemented. So, I mean, that's kind of impressive. Do we do a quarter of that in our shop? Probably not. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, I, I know I don't. My big takeaway from second lean was exactly that. It's like, man, 
these are all things that I've kind of thought about, but just have not executed on. I mean, shops that I've run in the past, like I've done some of the basics when it comes to like inventory control, things like that. Um, but it's definitely not enough of kind of like what Paul Akers in the, in the book says, like the, the kindergarten classroom, right? Where like, it should be that simple where like a kindergarten can come in and understand the process, even if it's a complex one, because you've got everything labeled so easily. So it's just a, a, a matter of second nature and seeing visible identifiers to do exactly what you have to do. And when I hear people say like, oh, my press guys just can't get it. Well, what are you not giving them to get it? And they, there's a lot they could probably take away from two second lean mentality. I mean, yesterday I was in the shop printing just for fun. <laughs> Weird. Um, I was showing, I was showing our students Split Fountain and how they were never allowed to sell it. Um, it was actually really cool. Our TikTok video went off last night. It was cool. Why aren't they allowed um, to sell it? Because it's, it's too much of a pain to put multiple links in one screen and it's not predictable. Or why can't they sell it? All of the above. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, so it was like a fun thing that we were doing and. I we've switched since our screen opener and our and our web adhesive and we've just like switched around our chemicals and um, the the bottles don't look the same that I'm normally used to and so I was like looking and I'm like I, I was like looking for opener um, and I just like couldn't find and I kept looking at the can and I was like nope that's not it oh, crap nope that's not it and then I'm thinking about it and I'm just like man I don't know where anything is. And it wasn't until I was like reading the cans because I was like, last thing I need to do is spray web in a screen while I'm teaching a bunch of students <laughs> when I just needed like a little bit of opener. Um, but I, I think like if it's for one of your employees or a new employee and it's not labeled and even maybe labeled in other languages too, right? Um, or in, in the native, like what's going to be easiest for them? Something as simple as tape and screen opener and you know like and, and web adhesive or whether you're going to use your glue or like your what you know there's all these different chemicals we talk about and i bet you if we were to go into a shop every shop has it different of what they're using where it's located if it's in the little like red magnetic things that y'all you know t and j sells um but i bet you I, I don't know how many shops have that labeled and we didn't and it confused me so i don't know i just think i got, I got a great solve for that that i actually just recently did too um, so just get a koozie. They, they make magnetic koozies. So the back's got a magnet on it. That koozie is the perfect size for all those different kinds of spray cans. So you just print or use vinyl. We used vinyl and it put web, tack, open on vinyl and they're different colored koozies, right? So we have multiple koozies of each. And so we just do those and they're magnetic. So you don't even need that little caddy anymore. You can stick it on the press. You can stick it inside of the dryer. It sticks to anything metal. And the koozie is a different color, always the same color for that product. And it's labeled right there with vinyl, or you can print it right there on it. So I it might takes drink it. it. I mean, that's that's a different problem. And we'll, we'll talk about why you're using opener <laughs> on another conversation because I don't think you should be. I don't think most people should be, but that's a different topic. I so that's an old old thing that my old older business partner used to do. We used it a lot. So when I quickly wanted to like clean my finger, I just like. <laughs> Oh my goodness, um, that's the worst thing you could do. We'll have to cut that it's, out. <laughs> it's a very old habit that like I'll do because I haven't really printed in several years. But if anyone else does, I'm like, mm, don't do that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not a daily don't habit. Don't do that. Don't sell fountain prints. <laughs> yeah. Do, what, does, what Bruce, does, Bruce Bruce? Even, yeah, does Bruce even know what we're talking about? Bruce, <laughs> let's, this is the new part of the podcast. Let's see if Bruce knows what he's talking about. Bruce, tell us what split fountain printing is. Go. Yeah, that's where we put the different color inks on one side and the other, and then uh, 
or, or no, you're putting them uh, together on the one side, and then you're pulling it across. So you get that kind of cool blended. Uh, they're all always on Instagram, actually. They're really cool. And I think especially around Pride, um, it comes out a lot. But my, I, I guess one thing I always wondered is how does it last over time? Or does it always get – does it not? It'll, 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 blend, it'll eventually get muddy. Uh, but you got it right. Yeah, a split fountain. Uh, also some, sometimes called a rainbow roll um, yeah. is where you can you blend any amount – of of inks onto a screen and you let them blend together to create a natural gradient in the screen the more that you do it though the more it's going to start to get mucky yeah depending how good you are and if you're on auto or manual you can get usually maybe 200 prints in before you usually got to switch that out yeah that's that's actually a cool all right you passed write this down you you you, you passed he did call it a fountain uh before you told him that it was a split fountain so we'll but we'll we'll give him a 9.5 on <laughs> that's the answer. for short that's for short um all right so one thing we want to talk about is your role as an owner for ask anything of which don't forget you guys can write in always to podcast at printable.com and we'd love to be able to chat about and discuss whatever problem you may be having in court matt and steven <laughs> Need some sort of uh, like court intro. What is your role as an owner, especially as the business changes? There's so many different things. Um, after my trip too with to, to Portland, this has been an interesting thing of people actually trying to figure out. And I think what's interesting too is from your perspective, Matt, what you're seeing because I feel like also team members see an owner do too much too, and probably don't say anything because it's like, ah, you know, just let them, you know, they're doing their thing. But uh, who wants to kick this one off? I mean, I'll, I'll jump in there. So, I mean, Go. Um, as, as a production manager at a couple different places in, in my career, um, the one thing I notice is that owners sometimes have a hard time letting go. They often are their own, uh, their own hurdle, their own speed bump to success, right? They, they want to kind of stay in the day-to-day because they feel like the busier they are, the better they're doing. Uh, that's clearly a, a misnomer and incorrect, right? They need to be looking at the bigger picture stuff, and that sometimes means not even being present sometimes, right? Not even having to be in the building to do the best things for the business. So a lot of owners I see have a hard time, oh, my light died, have a hard time with actually stepping back and being out of that. Um, and it's a hard lesson to learn. I think hiring a good production manager will obviously always help. Um, but it's a hard lesson to learn to actually step out, step back, and let somebody else do the, do the work, run the, run the shop day to day, and let yourself see the bigger picture. Okay. Off of that, Stephen, I think I figured something out over the last couple of days. Oh, Epiphany boy. moment here. Um, although very minuscule. But I... I think what it is, is that we get very glued to completing tasks, regardless of what they are, but completing something. And what happens is, is as the company grows, those tasks that are very quick and easy to complete feel good because you feel like you're making progress finishing things, but actually they have less and less of an effect over the actual impact of the business. But we kind of are like, you know, yeah, it just internally feels good. Whereas the stuff that actually probably matters is a lot more long-term and doesn't, um, there is no you know, little 
aspect of it or things like it. This is like a month long thing, or maybe this is like a year long thing that we need to be doing thoughts. And those never get done, right? Because they just are those huge rocks. Yes. And then they go down the list and for the to do list, it, it sort of starts near the top, but then it gets bumped to the bottom because I fill it up with operational stuff that I need to check off at the beginning of the day. Yeah, you're right. Jesus Christ. I, I, I think I think there's actually, and I'm going to kind of put you on the spot a little bit, Bruce. One thing that I've, I mean, so yesterday was my one year anniversary with with Printavo, um, which awesome, and it's it's been a fantastic year. But I, I, Woo, Matt. I, don't, I don't need to suck up to Bruce more than I already do. But um, the there we go. Yep. One thing that I'm <laughs> that I'm noticing while working for Printavo, and I think it goes right into this too, is. Bruce, when the company was smaller, right, when you had iterations or updates that you put out based off of listener or users' input, right, a lot of those were much smaller iterations, much easier to attack and, and actually add in. So it kind of gave a sense of completion and constant updates to the users as well. And like you said, easier tasks to check off. Now we're doing some really big, massive updates uh, to the platform. How is that, as, as, as the owner, how does that change how you feel when you were able to kind of see what people were asking for and much easier get them done, maybe not easier, but quicker get them done as opposed to these monstrous lifts that we're now doing? And how does that feel for you as the owner not being able to check as many things off possibly because you're working on a larger scale to get a bigger update out? Uh, that is a very loaded question. I, I, so like, okay, I was explaining this actually yesterday to somebody. What used to be is that I could push 100% on new functionality, right? Um, you need something, add it. You need that, add it. Cool, keep moving forward. Now, um, the role is just different in that my value add is to invest more into growing the team so that we can move forward as much because that 100% of just adding new stuff is split into threes. A third is fixing things that are like literally falling over slash on fire, which happens like two, three times a week now. A third is like trying to improve existing things that maybe haven't been touched in a couple of years that just need to come back to. And a third is fresh new stuff. So now instead of the 100%, you're kind of down to 30%, but the team didn't grow into that 3X. And so that same push doesn't happen in each of those channels. And so that's where... Um, my time has really shifted to, but you know, this goes right back to the task of like hiring 10 people is such a, a year two year project that sometimes, you know, I start the day and it's like, Oh, okay, let me, uh, I'm going to fix this little QuickBooks problem. And then, uh, I can check that off. All right, cool. Um, let me, you know, go through a couple of emails. All right, cool. Check it off. Check it off. Check it off. All right, cool. Move on. Right. And then I get a but, call from Bruce at 11, like, <laughs> Do you think Bruce will call me with these like epiphanies like every, every once a week? Uh, easily, easily. Once a week, He'd be like, do you think that as owners we shouldn't do like it'll be something profound? It'll be like, do you think we need to focus on like hiring? And I'll be like, yes. All right, <laughs> that's our call. <laughs> Thanks, bye. <laughs> Dude. But you get so stuck in the little shit all day, and then you never get the big ones done. Sorry to cut you off, Bruce, but Adam and I just did like three hours of traction on Monday, 
and we went through all of the tasks and Adam had to kept keep reminding me like, does that go to the rock? Does that go to the rock? Does that go to the rock? Okay, have have someone else do it. 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 And he kept going back to like, you'd keep dodging these huge rocks because it's it's hard and it's like audacious and there's no end in sight. <laughs> like hiring. Um, well, yeah, we kept going back to them and like, there's a couple huge things that I need to be focusing on for our back to school and I keep my days keep starting and finishing and it's because I just get stuck in so much other stuff and same with him. Um, but Death yeah, by a thousand paper cuts, right? And you get all the little things. You never actually get a big, a big lift done. But do you think we actually need to do those or we convince ourselves that we need to do those? I think that's the one right there. You, you're, are you talking about the little tasks? We convince ourselves because oh, they can all convince be delegated. Themselves. Yep. I read something, I think it's Naval that said like we we take D and C priority items and replace them with A priority items as a defense mechanism to not do those A priority items. Right? Like we we're doing them just as a as a almost a tool of procrastination. Yes. Because we don't want to tackle them. Yeah, you're right. And that's pretty hard hitting. I think that's what owners do in their business every single day. That's why they feel the need to go in and print and pull boxes and stuff because they don't want to do the hard things like budgeting or they don't want to do the hard things like delegating and they don't want to do the hard things like hiring or teaching because those are long-term delayed gratification. They're not check boxes. And then they get stuck in the hamster wheel of, of being that owner operator that's, that's stuck to their business. And that gratification, I mean, that's, that's an important thing. Like if you're having, if you've got big tasks and you don't feel that, uh, that accomplishment feeling for multiple weeks or months, because that big of a task that is taxing, you have to like persevere through it mentally. And that's really, really damn hard. Uh, that's why you probably ended up printing rainbow rolls and using opener yesterday, right? You had to get that, that, that good feeling back to go back to trying to lift those heavy rocks. I think it's important to like, let yourself have like those one or two low hanging fruits to get that uh, sense of accomplishment. But yeah, as an owner, uh, you can't just fill your day with those. You got to have one or two, and then you got to move on to those, those bigger, bigger pushes. I think one of the, one of the pieces of advice that I got probably last Thanksgiving, cause we were going crazy with e-commerce and fulfillment was get away from your shop physically get away from it and just like just get away and don't watch the can't just get away and like learn to trust um trust that everything's going to be okay and if something isn't okay that's totally okay how counterintuitive like, is that too like how how like that's that's gotta be like i gotta improve my business let's leave it right that is such a like a, a hard paradigm shift to like understand what you have to do how how well did you actually make that switch right away how long did it take you or are you still in that process of like getting used to that i mean i had to get like a puppy life coach kind of like like entrepreneur coach to help me through that almost like borderline therapist because i had to just i had to really work on like relinquishing control um you couldn't have two people like two head honchos in there trying to do the same thing and competing all the time it just wouldn't work right. right and now it's to the point where i have to learn how to mute slack for a couple hours or like turn off my messages um so that i can actually get clear work done because what was happening is i would i would be away from the shop i'd be a machine like firing off sales stuff working with different teams zoom calls 
and then my work wouldn't get done and then I would just like resort to doing it really late at night. And so now it's we're actually blocking out times of the day where I can do clear work. And that's still a really hard task. Like sometimes I'll text Bruce and be like, my Slack is just off the wall this morning, you know? So I don't know. I think it's it's a very hard mental, like it's a mental struggle. It's a, it's not something that just a shop can just, oh, I can do overnight. No, it took a lot. It takes a lot of work to do that and to get away, you know? I guess, Matt, you're not at Sound at Fury every day because you're, you have a, a full-time job. But you know you have someone that's going to be there that's doing their job well and and all that. Talk to us about that relationship. Is there like tension there? I mean, there's you're not there. There has been. I mean, before I was I was here, I left uh, doing the the sales cons- consulting gig and went back to running a shop. And I had to actually tell them, tell them, look, when I'm back to running a shop, I'm not going to be any help to you. I'm, I'm I was back to doing the eighty hour weeks, right? Um, so I told them I, I couldn't help you and he did what he had to do, but it was definitely a hard, a hard time. So when I was able to, uh, join the Portavo team and not have to work 80 hours and be in a print shop, 80 hours, I was able to kind of come back into the fold. Uh, it was definitely a big relief for him. The nice thing is that we're, we're co-owners, right? So I don't have to worry about like keeping an employee, uh, motivated. He is his own motivation. This is his only job, his only career, and he owns it too. Um, it, it, it works pretty well because I've got a pretty open day. I mean, I'm on calls. He can't just like, he can text me. I might not get back to him for an hour and a half, two hours, but I can always get back to him with some sort of resolution. And we've gotten into a good habit. I mean, we've been doing this for really doing it for like four years now. Um, we've been around for like eight, but the first four were printing posters and garages. Um, so now we're hitting the point where we're just literally setting tasks in Printavo and whatever he needs me to do, he sets that task. So every night when I'm logging off of Printavo work, all I got to do is log into my Printavo account, go through my tasks, knock those things out, email it after email, finish any art stuff I got to help out with, any input on like, hey, how do I print this? I'll label it all out in the production notes, and I move on to the next day. So we've actually gotten a really nice, clean uh, process to get all that taken care of. But before we had that, yeah, there were some cantankerous conversations of him being like, well, I can't wait for you to do this. It's like, well, I got a full-time job doing this, so either you got to figure it out or you got to wait for me. And those conversations were hard. It hurt and helped that we've been best friends for like 15 years now. So those conversations tend to get a little bit more heated when you're best friends than they do when you're just coworkers. Um, but we also came on the other side, even stronger friends because of that. So a little bit different in my case, but definitely still has some of those hard battles back and forth of figuring out what to do. And the other thing is me running larger shops, I would try to like impose big shop mentality on Mike and be like, hey, trust me here, this is what we have to do. And he hadn't seen that, right? He hadn't experienced it, so it was harder for him to be like, oh, let me listen to you. And because we're co-owners and we were best friends for so long, it's also a little bit harder too for him to just go, oh, okay, Matt, right? So it took, sometimes I have to kind of like take a step back and go, look, it's not a must, we need to get there, but I also need to let him get there, how he's gonna get there. This is kind of like the coaching through the example stuff that we're talking about where you know, how do you help coach somebody or train somebody to improve through questions and through examples so that they Servant can leadership. solve for it? Mm-hmm. I know, Stephen, you talked a lot about it. And, uh, Jason Ketchum's talked a ton about it. I think we've even talked about it on this show a couple times. And that, that's one thing I'm, I'm working on, too, because sometimes it's just like, I just need this this way, right? But that doesn't help them sort of self-solve for next time. 
mm-hmm. um, and like get in the mindset that I'm in. But what I think it was this was that the Sandler method too that helped Stephen? Uh, yeah, it's the Sandler system. Sandler um, I think method. of questions and stuff. Chad, my business partner, is very into that. Go ahead and uh, Google it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I think in just management in general, getting getting people to come up with their own answers is better. Um, but I think what's I think what's most interesting is I think founders and owners they work a lot off adrenaline, right? Like we work off adrenaline. We've got a big order. We got to get this out. We're gonna make the money. Like it's all adrenaline. And your employees don't work off adrenaline. It's their it's their day job. You know, they don't they don't need to go to war every day. You know, and, and sometimes as business owners we wake up feeling like we're going to war without bullets. You know, I've I've heard that like business is war without bullets, or entrepreneurship is jumping out of a plane and getting your parachute on before you hit the ground. You know, for your employees, that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for stability, they're looking for peacefulness they do want to work hard but at the end of the day they're not trying to go to war every day that's uh that's 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 what we're doing way from to quit you know and so sometimes i think the attitude we bring into our shop as owners and maybe why we we have a lot of turnover if you have employees is because we're burning them out by being that you know that business junkie and they didn't they didn't sign up for that you know i don't i don't think if if you work at jimmy john's yeah it's an intense fast place to like area to work and I know the CEO of you know Jimmy John's or the old you know I think retired or whatever is probably a pretty intense human being um, but there's still balance there you know there's still stability there there's still mindfulness there's still breaks there's still human resources you know they're fast busy places but I think they're peaceful places too um, and and I don't know if we we do that every day when we're there I don't know Matt, is do it safe to say um Gosh, we went off on what is the role? <laughs> What's the role of the owner, the production, all, the production manager? Yeah, yeah, these are all characteristics, though, of it. But it sounds like it's safe to say, you know, really looking and I think I feel like it's almost like okay, here's the most value add I can do to the business, where this time or dollar spent will give me a 10x ROI in a year, and then being very self-conscious or self-aware to say. What I'm doing today is either contributing to that or is not contributing to that. And if it's not, then really forcing ourselves to not be doing that every single day, um, but end up doing Hurricane, hurricane, okay. hurricane Bruce. <laughs> I'll just build this feature. I've, I've had a couple of those moments and, and, and actually been pulled aside just like, hey, dude, uh, this is actually like negatively affecting what we're doing. Um, and I was like, shit. I mean, that's actually, and I'm glad they said that because uh, it was actually Peter one time, maybe six months ago, like just made this, you know, change over the weekend, uh, our CTO, and I was just like, um, blah, blah, blah. But it actually, like, it took him like two days of fixing something to 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 fix the code because I screwed something up. And that, for me, was like, all right. Like, I literally caused negative work. That sucks. <laughs> All right, guys, we've got a really cool episode for you guys coming in. We've got Colby Harwood out of Made Brands. You guys are going to be able to hear his story of how he got to $4 million in sales on Cut and Sew Business, Ooh. what happened in COVID, um, just the whole business without marketing. It's such an interesting space, Cut and Sew. In the LA Fabric District, when you walk around, it is the most unknown business sector ever. It's like if 
there was no Yelp or open table to find restaurants. It's like, where do you want to go eat tonight? That's how you, you just, I, I don't know. I guess I'll call around to ask around. Um, so pretty cool, pretty cool story about how, uh, uh, he kind of grew up into that business and where it's at now and, and what he values the most. All right, take a listen. Hey, what's up, pronouncers? Welcome back to another episode, dual camera episode here, very special with the almighty Colby Harwood out of Made Brands. We are in, is this downtown Los Angeles? This is downtown Los Angeles, right on the outskirts. Okay, outskirts of downtown Los Angeles. What's it called? Boyle Heights. Boyle Heights, if you know the area. Producer Chris is nodding. He was born and raised here, so he knows. Um, First of all, thank you for just spending the time. Dude, 100%. You are, we get here and you're just like on the phone, meetings. (laughs) They're like, Kobe's on the floor. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Um, But you're busy. Yeah, I'm really happy to be busy. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Yeah. That's fair. I mean, tell us just about Made Brands, what it is. I mean, this is a big facility legit this is not like off an alley and in yeah uh we are i call us like a you know full package cut and sew manufacturer uh by full package i mean that we kind of handle everything from a to z so from the idea process all the way through like distribution so outside of like actual garment production so cutting sewing dyeing printing embroidery we also you got it oops sorry this is colby's first podcast first podcast guys um (laughs) Uh, outside of the like actual raw production of the goods, we also help with like uh, logistics as well. So either shipping wholesale for some of our customers or like you know all of the e-commerce orders from their you know e-commerce platforms. That's super cool. What, tell us about this facility. How many square feet? How many people do you got here? Sure. So currently uh, we got about forty-five or fifty employees, just depending on like the workload at the time, mm-hmm. and we're looking at about like sixteen thousand square feet. Wow. Yeah. When did you move into this building? We've been here since uh, last August. Um, I was telling him the, the building's actually uh, pretty brand new. It was involved in a fire before us. So we were the first tenant to kind of come be in this space, which was great because like all the fixtures, all the lighting, everything's up to like 2020 code. Um, so it's like a new building. It's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, this space, well, first of all, when did you start? I, I, I was creeping through your LinkedIn to get a little bit of background. Mm-hmm. A lot of apparel, this fulfillment that, apparel, like when did Made, Noble, Ready, all of this start? I've been doing like, I've been in the fashion industry, if you want to call it, for almost 11 years. I've been, in, well, excuse me, probably 12 years. Okay. Uh, I've been in LA for 11 years. Just had my little LA anniversary. Where'd you move from? I'm originally from Seattle. Oh, yeah, okay. So Renton, Washington. Um, but yeah, I've been, I moved out here about 11 years ago you know, to do this. Uh, short story long, me and my friends had a, you know, a little clothing brand right out of high school. Um, kind of was in the streetwear space. And my responsibility at the time was the manufacturing of the goods, managing the relationships with our screen printers and blank vendors. Um, and, you know, one of our partners at the time got an opportunity to move to California and we planned like a company trip down here and met a screen printer while we were down here and kind of talked my way into like asking for a job and uh, broke up with my girlfriend, packed up my stuff and like drove down here, lived on my friend's couch for a little while and worked in like a little mom and pop screen printing shop. Just like literally cleaning screens, 
doing small direct to garment orders, doing sales. That's where I really like got my first kind of hands dirty, I guess you call it, in like the production side of stuff. Um, and then quickly evolved into just like being the guy to like get stuff done. Kind of, I was the guy that would be out at events, like small talk would turn into, hey, what do you do? Oh, I do this. Oh, cool. Like I can do whatever you need merch made. I got you. I'm the guy. Um, and kind of would just run around the city for like a while, like getting that process, you know, going screen printing, mainly like printable stuff. Sure. Um, but my natural like curiosity of, you know, fashion and being in LA at that time kind of was like, man, this is not really fashion. You know, like mm -hmm. I really like quickly after going to a couple of trade shows and it really like opened my eyes to like, oh shit, I really wanna do fashion stuff. Um, and I, I got an amazing opportunity. I ended up meeting this brand. Uh, I think they're called L'Equip now, but they used to be called The Squad. I ended up meeting them at like a little, um, it's called the Coanga Corridor in Hollywood. It was like a little uh, month, like a Sunday market type of thing. And uh, Alex is the owner of the brand at the time, like just kind of saw my little booth next to his. It's like, yo, this screen printed embroidery stuff's really nice. Like, where do you get your stuff? I was like, oh, I actually do this. And he's like, oh, we're like looking for someone. And then we ended up talking. He's like, listen, we're looking for like a production manager. And, uh, but you know, the issue is you'd have to like stop your brand. And at that time my brand was like, it, it just, we were, hadn't figured it out yet. We were just trying to like, I was hustling, working, yeah. you know, job to pay for the brand. and. Uh, I just really needed some stability. So kind of took that opportunity and he introduced me to a larger, like full package cut and sew facility like ours. It was a, you know, same thing. And uh, from there is when I really got to like dive into understanding like the actual cut and sew side of the world. I'd never been to a factory before. And like, I went there and I literally, like my eyes lit up. I was like, sure, super excited. Like, this is how it works. And then right, right. he ended up taking me to like, you know, fabric knit knitters and, you know, dye houses and, you know, higher volume screen printing facilities where you really got to kind of go under his wing a bit. I mean, I really acted as, you know, his, his assistant, I yeah. guess for a little while, um, because they kind of were like crash course, you go manage that relationship because they need to be able to go to handle sales and design and other stuff. So like that guy at the time, like I became, you know, really close with him. And I think I worked for that brand for six, eight months. And then he kind of like pulled me aside. He was like, yo, what do you, you know, what's your plan there? I was like, man, I really just want to learn production. I want to, he's like, what are they, <laughs> I hate saying this, he kind of poached me and was like, yo, what are they paying you? Da, da, da. I was like, ah, oh, you know, whatever. It's like, listen, come over here, I'll teach you this. And he really like brought me under his wing. I was, you know, by his side in every meeting, any die house. And he was managing some pretty big accounts at the time. He actually helped launch Spiritual Gangster, which is a pretty big yoga line. Okay. Um, and at the time they were doing, you know, at, for me at the time, for a big order was 300 pieces, 500 pieces, you know? And then they were doing, you know, 3,000 per style, per colorway. Um, so it was like a bigger look into like the volume side of like pr production. Um, and I really had a crash course with him. I mean, he really opened and up his Rolodex and relationships and introduced me and kind of was like, hey, look, go handle this and kind of like said, figure it out. And it just ended up me being in the dye house or, you know, in the sewing facility, you know, all day, every day. Sure. Just really like absorbing all of this information and understanding like the different, like, you know, processes involved in, you know, what I call like, you know, just garment manufacturing. And a core was like knits, like LA really known for like their t-shirts and their hoodies and, and things like that. So 
that was like our core focus. And I really got like a crash course from him from that. How did you, when was the jump to you meeting Charles and starting? Oh yeah, perfect. So, um, so, you know, I Charles work, is the other half. Charles is my business partner. I was getting distracted with him. We're talking about finance stuff before. Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> uh, Charles is our operations guy. So uh -huh. he really makes this, I, I like to say that he take, he took my hobby and turned it into a business. Mm -hmm. Um, and he is really the backbone to this entire operation. He understands, you know, just how to make things make sense. So this is an interesting concept. Yeah. Uh, there's a book we always talk about called Traction ah. uh, by Gino Wickman. And, you know, it helps you set up your KPIs and all that stuff. But there's yep. always uh, a kind of uh, like a dreamer or visionary, they yeah. call it, and yeah. an implementer. Yep. It sounds like this is a similar. No, actually, you got me this book, and I'm. Oh, that's right. That's I'm right. I'm almost done with okay, this okay. book, and I actually bought the book for Charles too. Okay. So I'm. I actually did an interesting approach of I read the book and listened to the podcast like simultaneously, so I could really like because. I really resonated with a lot of the things in the book. I'm like, wow, this is actually great. And thank you, by the way, for getting me that book. Yeah. Definitely has like helped tweak and like is gonna set us up for implementing that process. Um, and Charles is next. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, like yeah. after the call, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I asked Bell to send it. Anyway. Yeah, no, and you did and I got it and I've been really dialed in with it and it's Heck been yeah. like incredible. Um, yeah, so Charles, uh, I think, what was your question? I'm sorry. Well, it's just interesting that, you know, you guys balance each other out yeah. where it feels like a lot of other shops, especially when they get going or just businesses uh, are just, you know, it's very heavy one or the other. Sure. Um, did, did you guys start together or was no. it, you came in later or he came in later? Yeah, or what, what so happened? I've uh, Charles and I have been working together for four years now. Mm -hmm. Um, so after I was working with this gentleman, Joseph, I did freelance for probably like four or five years. What does freelance mean? Uh, freelance like production management. Okay. So essentially uh, brand would come, I, I would get introduced to a brand looking for a production manager. And instead of just like working on behalf of the brand, they would come to me and I would handle ordering all the materials, sampling everything, uh, essentially running their production for them. Um, so it'd be anywhere from just like, you know, couple of different t-shirt graphics all the way to fully fashioned denim uh, with washes and distressing and you know uh, leather jackets like I was really running like full-blown production for some of these brands got it um, and in that period of time I, I Charles and I got introduced to each other through someone who was looking to you know have some production and Charles actually is formerly a mergers and acquisition lawyer like he's got no fashion background at all like how we met is an incredible story. Um, <laughs> you were getting sued. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, we, so Charles, uh, he was currently working at this uh, startup called Startup Engine. Okay. And he was handling a lot of the, I guess, mergers and acquisitions like law and like, I guess you want to call it auditing, I think, for a lot of the uh, paperwork and necessary to any do any of that line of business. Um, and he was working at a WeWork in West Hollywood. And man, I wish he was here to tell this story, but he, he ended up meeting this gentleman who like, you know, he was on the elevator with him, you know, looked like a very, oh, shit, like well, uh, well-dressed dude and ended up like getting into a Ferrari. And he's like, who is this guy? Ended up talking to him. And then this guy kind of adopted Charles as his like lawyer, I guess. And uh, I think Charles had known this gentleman at like, for like maybe two or three weeks at this point, but had already like, 
brought him to a, like these crazy places. Like I think he like ended up having lunch with like uh, the Fugees and like ended up getting on phone calls with Lil Wayne. Like it was like honestly like Charles was like, yo, what's going on here? I just met this guy in an elevator and he's like bringing me around. He's like introducing it. Hey, this is my lawyer. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting connected with uh, one of this this gentleman's uh, like videographers and he's like, hey, we're looking for production. I'm gonna come meet you cool so i had like a small sh- like showroom space at the time where i was just have my like you know clothing on display of some of the project that worked on in the past some of the work i'd done ended up so we had a meeting scheduled for like noon and incoming brand new g-wagon brand new ferrari brand like all these like fleet of cars just shows up like and like an army of people get out like 10 people and i'm like uh i'm like so confused and you know charles jumps out fully suited up you know what i mean and i ended up not really talking to him at this moment but he got in that's how we got introduced is we had a meeting kind of talking about me potentially doing production management for this guy at that time like again i'm not really like the most business savvy guy. I'm very much just like, I have ideas. I want to be able to like help get them out. Uh, And Charles really was like, yo, like uh, if I can help and add value, like we should talk about maybe like partnering up. And I was like, well, what could you do? He's like, man, I could really help, you know, build infrastructure on the back end of your business and help with accounting and, you know, HR at the time, any type of, again, like things were that brought me out of being like a a creative or, you know, building relationships with brands. Um, And it started out as like him being like, yeah, I'll come like, you know, you know, part-time, a couple times a week. And then within the first week he was there every day um, and hasn't So it just made sense. Yeah, it just made sense. And like he entirely turned my business around to the point where like I still don't know how he does does it sometimes but he's just like the hardest working that dude that i've ever met and just like is not is not afraid to try anything which really complimented like my stuff i'm like i'd call it like a risk taker Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways like so that's that's really cool yeah i'm going off topic here a little bit but what what do you feel like longer term with the business like as it changes and it grows uh do you want and we've been bringing this up in, in the podcast recently with other people as, as you know, as, as business owners, everybody kind of gets started and they're like really passionate about it. And then it gets really serious and it's yeah. like, okay, my stress level is here. You know, my anxiety is <laughs> yeah, higher. Yeah. Uh, I need to hire these people. This yeah. client's pissed off. This, I have 18 yep. things to do. Yep. My, my wife's like, I, you're not as home as much, <laughs> right? And so it becomes more and it's you're definitely passed into this stage yeah. of like okay wh- where are we going have you thought about that yeah no i mean i think that's something that charles and i talk about you know every day mm-hmm. cuz i think it changes every day sadly like not and not not that we don't have like an idea where we want to go but i think like the climate of the world right now has been changing so much it has actually caused us to pivot often um and you know, we started out wanting to, you know, be a production facility, and then in the wake of the pandemic, we all of a sudden became like a 3PL facility as well, where we're handling customer service, warehousing, and fulfillment. Um, and that was purely based because at the time, in order to become an essential business, you had to have some sort of shipping business, and we were producing masks at the time, and we were literally like operating like kind of covertly without like I guess the permits from the the state at the time but Mm -hmm. after we were able to get like the shipping business or the logistics business set up we're all you know certified and whatnot Mm -hmm. um but 
yeah, I think it's just been a constant like change because new opportunities come or like we see a you know, problem that we can tr potentially solve. If you were to say five years, mm -hmm. we want to be, is it a revenue number? Is it a, is it a size or is it just like keep solving problems and making cool products? I think that- and nothing is obviously wrong. It's, it's yeah, just, I'm just course. curious yeah, in your yeah, thought. Yeah. I think in five years, my goal would be able to become an arm in like either a music label or a, uh, a creative agency where mm -hmm. we're kind of, because I think our focus again at the beginning was just like figuring out how to produce clothes for brands. And now a uh, big focus for us has been building brands with artists and influencers, um, especially like musicians um, and, you know, building brands around their following and their audience and kind of building not just, I guess, merch, but more or less brands and offering more services, design, fulfillment, um, you know, and the production side, just helping them, you know, get off the ground. I have an idea, but I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I always joke with Charles, like, I want to be, you know, buy the domain buildbrand.com because it's like really want to figure out how we can eventually offer full service, full service or, you know, yeah. uh, media, all of that. Super interesting. Yeah. I mean, so many screen printing shops now or two are going from, you know, just print shops to, uh, okay, a band, they need help with fulfillment on the website, building out the website, exactly. inventorying, shipping, yep. and so on. So it seems like that's bled down a step yeah, on the cut and sew side too. 100%. So that's super interesting. You know what's fascinating? You walk into this building, uh, really cool inside. I have no idea what it is outside. <laughs> it's uh, a war zone. By the way, Colby and I met, um, my wife was working on this this uh, scrub brand and I know a lot of shops were working with you on mass yep. and just kind of got connected from there and just started chit-chatting more. But you know, for people that make fabric to, to cut and sew, to dyeing, there are, there's no signs, there's okay. no Yelp, no. There's no like directory, directory of anything, no. but you've got a, a very large growing business here. Yeah. How the heck do you find customers and grow? Is it total word of mouth? And why is it so like underground? Is that purposeful or is it just? I'm really trying to change that narrative, but it uh -huh. is like historically been like a don't ask, don't tell type of thing. Like you, it's, it's like <clears throat> bad practice to like tell someone where you manufacture at. Mm. I think people more and more have started. I mean, I don't, I, I still respect all my clients and their wishes of not being sure. Asked well, contract it. shops are like yeah. this too, is very low key. Exactly. Um, but it historically it was like certain brands wouldn't want to be manufactured in the same as, you know, a competitive brand um, or because they wouldn't want them being able to see their, you know, items in production that haven't hit the market yet or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, it's, the relationships are very coveted and it's still that way. I'm very collaborative where I'm like happy to share my resources or like give people an opportunity to go work with this person as long as they're respectful. Um, and I think that's like also one of the fears of a lot of like that, you know, coveting these relationships because like I hate being in a situation where I've referred a business or a, a client to some other vendor and then it goes sour and then that vendor's looking at you like man your boy did me wrong or whatever it may be and i'm like uh, but how do you get more customers how do i get more customers advertising or yeah, marketing i think uh the reward for more work is good work like if you and so people tell yeah, somebody it's else a, it's, and... yeah because i think 
in my, in, particularly in the space that I like and the services that I provide, there really isn't like, I guess a full package solution mm -hmm. that has a lot of the resources that we provide to some of our clients. Like, mm -hmm. and you can be the most established brand and, and work with us, or you can be someone who's never, you know, stepped into the world of fashion, has no background or experience like in this side of business. Mm -hmm. and, and we can service both of those types of customers. And I think that's what's like kind of, the barrier to entry that we're providing is a lot less difficult now. Yeah. Um, with but you, I mean, sorry to dig into this no, deeper, okay. but like you were just, you just got off the phone and you're talking about this big customer that yeah. you were closing. Yeah. You know, obviously it takes time to build all this. Yeah. Uh, but we're like, where did they hear about you from? I mean, is there a sales team that's doing no, outreach? Sir, or there's just, no sales team right now. It's just all word of mouth. That's, I mean, if you want to, the sales team, you're looking at them. Like it's right. really just like, relationship-based, okay. word of mouth, at this given moment. Now, yeah. I'm once we have the f time, I think, uh, to put together like a full-blown sales force, I guess, then we're happy, we're gonna go after that. I think that like the type of, we cater to a certain type of customer right now. And that's like, it's very niche, it's a very small world. And like, especially in the LA market, like everybody knows everybody. Mm -hmm. If you're doing business at a certain level, like. People are gonna, you know, hey, have you worked with this guy? Have you heard about them? And it's gonna be either success or horror story. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be like, yo, these are the greatest guys. You gotta go check them out. Or don't ever go there. Yeah, I had, a, I had, a, horror, I had a horror story, you know, right. like of I don't want to work with these people, and that's sad because it, it is so small and like you you never know who it's gonna get back to, and you gotta be really careful. Um, yeah, it, it's just it's really interesting. It's very similar to on the screen printing side too with, with contract too, but of course the word of mouth, good product. Yeah. I mean, but growing it up to a size where, you know, there's 50 people, um, are you able to share revenue numbers? Sure. Of yeah. where you guys are at? Yeah. So to year to date here, I think we're edging on like 4 million right now. Okay. So that's awesome. Yeah. And like, that's, you know, that's a significant size of just word of mouth. Yeah. Um, so definitely commend you guys for that Thank too. You. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, you talk about everybody knows everybody. Uh, I'm sure that's just like employees too, right? Yeah. You know, when I go in the back and you see people sewing, mm -hmm. cutting, that's not, that's a highly skilled job. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you find people or are you always getting poached for talent or what happens around it? Because, you know, I go over there, yeah. I was driving in, there was another company kind of sewing there. There was, yeah. a, there's a mattress company yep. next door. Yeah. Um, you know, you referred me to somebody else before and I was chatting with them and yeah. the same thing. I mean, how, how is talent going right now for you guys? So I think acquiring like, specific talent, for example, like sewing operators, embroidery operators, uh, cutting, like it's slim pickings right now. Um, and the reason being is the pandemic really like shifted the way, like, I guess, like labor workers have been thinking and, and there's currently like um, relief packages that are still in play that mm -hmm. are kind of, the reality of it is that they're making more money on these relief packages than they would making, you know, on a labor job where they're working 40, was 50 it, hours a Was week. it easier to hire somebody before? Oh yeah, no question. It was. You put a job post up yeah. and people no, apply. No, we, we run ads in the LA Opinion. We have like you know, banners on, we run on the side of our, our office sometimes. Uh -huh. And, you know, nor, or even like people just walk up and they'll, we'll, we'll have a rolling door open of our loading dock and they'll just say, hey, uh, this is what I do. So and you're kind of waiting for like September-ish when the benefits yeah, are starting to roll off. Be, uh, uh, there'll be a big 
uptick in, in labor workers. Right now, there's just people can stay at home, get a paycheck, and not have to to come work. And I, I and again, it's like frustrating, but I'm like, if I was them in their position, probably would do the same thing. Sure. Spend time with my family while I can. Um, Are you hiring for non-production? Yeah, too? yeah, yeah. We're uh, right now we're hiring for senior level production managers. Uh, assistant production managers, pattern makers, um, screen printing operators, embroidery operators, like beyond just like laborist works, we're also looking for like, you know, skilled technical designers. How has that hiring been? And is it, does it require training or do you? Yeah, so. And I do you train the production staff too? Like yeah. can somebody come up and you will train them to run this embroidery machine or run the sewing machine or whatever? Or are you looking for that previous? I'm looking for someone who has experience okay. just because the level of like, Again, we're like a quality-based factory, so like it's not like our training or, or I guess our like testing process is pretty intensive. Like, have you ever brought in somebody to train them? Because there's always this debate of, yes. can yeah, I find yeah. somebody that yeah. has the attitude and they'll yep. do it? Yep. But then I ha then I'm six months in trying to train them, and it may or may yep. not work. So or... we recently just purchased some new Baradin equipment, and okay. they have a designated like I guess rep. Um, the, locally that will come in and train and like we provided training for two days for one of our operators just to get them acclimated with the new system we did buy like newer machines so it's different than older machines that are like I guess analog versus everything's digital with a screen um, and that you know it, he's got a bunch of experience on the older machines but none on the newer machines so just it took a little bit of time for him to just get acclimated how to you know run the machine itself not necessarily like the setup because every once it's like everything's threaded, everything's good to go. He understands the maintenance. It's more mm -hmm. or less just like new so technology. So you use that rep to help train yeah. people here. Yeah, absolutely. But if somebody came off the street, would you ever hire somebody that, you know, said, look, I, I want to learn. I'll spend whatever time I need to. Or is it, look, I need you to have ran this equipment for a couple of years. I think it depends on like, on like from if it's gonna be from the labor yeah i'd want some experience if it's gonna be someone who's looking to get involved in like production management like we have you know, internship opportunities for them to really just like better understand because i think like the outside look of like production mm -hmm. isn't necessarily what it actually like seems mm -hmm. um and we kind of op open the curtain a little bit for them to be like hey look this is where your stuff's made it's by humans it's not by robots like this is the steps involved in like you know lugging 500 t-shirts from the dye house to the printer back to the uh you know sewing manufacturer to put the labels and do the like really letting them understand like the process involved mm -hmm. um and yeah we have opportunities of, of people that i mean we have some staff now that started out as interns and now have senior level positions you know which we're always willing to like manage up who do you think uh for those people that have grown mm -hmm. What have they shown you that they can take the next level of responsibility? Or like, do you give them extra work and they do it? Cause this is an interesting thing that we yeah. work on too mm -hmm. at Printavo and I see other shops is just like, can a contributor be a manager? And yeah. sometimes, yeah. Uh, well actually all the time, they're two very different roles. Mm -hmm. Sometimes though they can grow into that and learn it. And other times mm -hmm. it's just, they're better as one or the other. Yeah. we. We, we experience that all the time. We have people that we train, and I think we're, we push people, you know, and we're like, hey, look, we have an opportunity, and this is like, if you're willing to like try this, we're gonna put you here, 
you want to try you out in the managing thing. And like, again, there's been success. And there's some people who are just really good at just executing on whatever tasks they need to do, but not managing like a team. And it takes a certain like person um, and a certain level of thought process to understand like how to efficiently do that. Sure. And know when to delegate and when to do a job on your own. Um, and yeah, that's a certain special type of person. How do you know when they're just not working out and they're just not a right fit for the company? I think there's a couple of factors involved. Like, A, it's like gonna be a culture thing. Like, if they chuck and jive with the way that we like move around here, um, and then also just like a performance thing. I mean, it, like, we we haven't like developed like crazy KPIs yet, but like, if something's not right a couple of times, it's like, okay, like, where was the problem? Let's identify it. And then let's set a rule or a boundary of like how to not let that happen again. Mm -hmm. And if it happens again, it's like, okay, well then, I think we know the problem, you know, mm -hmm. like this is maybe not the best fit for you. Got it. Um, That's tough. Um, yeah. I think all of those business owners are very easy to bring people on, but hard to let go, oh. you know, cause it sucks. It's like, this is a person too. And, and so Trust on. Me, it's I'm awkward. like the worst fire. I, we had to let somebody go today. Like to, we, we let someone go today. It's like the hardest thing for me to do. Are you going to say why or? Uh, not the right fit. Mm. Not the right fit. Um, we tried to manage up, tried to, you know, set expectations and this industry, uh, certain positions uh, are, you know, people have been in these positions for such a long time. So, like for example, uh, pattern making, mm -hmm. it's a trade craft that historically is, you know, only like older people are uh, in these positions because usually it requires years of experience. Sure. Um, but with years of experience comes old ways of doing things. And in the climate we're in right now, we need we needed someone a little bit more uh, like up to trend on how like things work, I guess, and how customers interact with them and how even like staff interact with them. Mm -hmm. And again, like love this person, they were incredible, but it's just like, wasn't the right fit. And mm -hmm. it just like, the biggest problem is like, because that person is a unicorn in itself. Like there's not like a Rolodex or a line of pattern makers waiting out there. This is a special. So you want to take yeah, holding on to I it. I want to hold on to yeah. it because I'm like, yo, this is, she's incredible. They are incredibly talented, but it's a, a, you know, how do I replace this person? You know, what was the breaking point? Um, the breaking point was me just actually putting my head down and trying to find that the right fit, you know, finding mm -hmm. that person and train and like, running them through a couple exercises and understanding that they, I felt that they saw the same vision that, you know, we had, you know, aligned with. That's fair. Yeah. I think um, for us in the past, what we've had is like, sometimes I feel like I'm rowing in a canoe. And if you're rowing, like you ever been in a two person canoe and the one person isn't really rowing, <laughs> yeah. but if they're rowing the other way, it's like impossible. Yeah. If somebody's starting to row against me, and I'm putting in all this time yeah. and effort. That's that's my signal. Yeah. Now, if they're not rowing, it's like maybe I can be like, "Hey, here's how you row. You right, one, one, two, row. three. Yeah. You know." Um, but anyway, it, it's an interesting because it's so gray, and there's no there's no ever black and white. Like, okay, yeah. check, check, check. Yep. But uh, you you've got a growing business. There's a lot of people here. How do you manage your day? Like, you get in first yeah. thing. 8 a.m. Mm -hmm. What does that look like when you're not doing podcasts? <laughs> <laughs> so when you leave, <laughs> um, 
my day is pretty oh and let me throw in a twist here actually sure. uh when i first met colby colby is um you're really good at everything fashion so i have to imagine every yeah. brand is like let me talk to Colby, right? Let me, <laughs> That's the you biggest know, problem, yeah. Oh, look, can I speak to him about, I need to get his thoughts about this. Yeah. You know, when we were when we were working on some stuff before, it was like, I, you could tell, like you're just very passionate about what yeah. you do. Yeah. And a lot of business owners have this too, is like they want to talk to the owner because mm -hmm. that's who they, you built a relationship yeah, with them. exactly. Um, but that doesn't scale. No. Uh, so uh, how do you try to set up your day now between everything else that's going on? Um, I think my day is set. I, I've been a little bit more mindful of like when I should make myself available and mm -hmm. also making myself unavailable helps me empower my team to be able to feel that same confidence that I'm, you know, if I'm with them in the room, because mm -hmm. I think that that's part of my training process is like, just, I let them shadow me, listen to like jump on calls with me, kind of like letting them kind of like sit on the backseat and understand like, hey, this is kind of how Colby runs, this is how, this is the, the talk track that he uses, this is how he communicates with customers. These are like the key points that like, because at the end of the day, like I'm having the same conversations with a lot of these different brands just about different things, but really the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it's like they, my team's done an incredible job of like understanding like what are the key things to touch on? What are the main questions? Because again, everyone has the same questions. Oh, like what's this? What's that? And just teaching them how to... You're trying to make them an expert. Exactly. I'm trying to like get them to feel confident. That's really what it is. And I think a lot of, with any business owner, like th that level of confidence is why that client wants to be there. Mm -hmm. They're like, hey, they are so passionate about what they do. They're passionate about how they can do it. Like, I trust this person. It's a mm -hmm. big trust factor here. And like, I think that's just like what me and, you know, Charles have been trying to empower is just like helping them feel the confidence and like that A, our team on the floor can execute the things that we can say in this room. Um, and our team does an incredible job of doing that. And that's just building that trust of like, how we can get there telling that story how does it how do you think like all that reflects into like what you're actually doing because sometimes too especially i i feel like i should be going in the morning and working on the most important things for the first couple hours then i have meetings and then kind of wrap up tasks mm -hmm. but that just never really happens it's never that really way. what happens yeah uh what does your day look like yeah, my day looks like getting here, like I said, probably like 7.38. Uh, first thing that I do is walk the floor. Um, that's like I walk my production floor just to like look for things that, because I have a pretty good pulse on like like all the projects that are currently going on here. I, I know enough about it to know if something looks like it's going wrong. Um, and then I'm um, you know, just QCing like quality control on my end. Like I'm looking for things of like, hey, does this pass my like personal standards? And then bringing to you know the department lead like, hey, look, let's make sure that if something is wrong, we're paying attention to this or not necessarily wrong, but not like how I would want it to be, mm -hmm. um, which is also another like, I guess, like, difficult task of like training our team to understand like what the level of what the expectation is or what my expectation is of like if something's going to leave you know our door like does it pass the stamp of approval of you know everyone here um but yeah my day is getting out there seeing what's on the floor and then kind of better understanding like what what needs to be done like do i need to chime in here to kind of push this do i need to go you know speak in this department to kind of talk to them about whether or not we're gonna hit dates or mm -hmm. kind of understanding 
like the entire process and then kind of going back to my uh you know internal staff like not internal staff but like office staff and then just delegating tasks hey let's let's what, let's make sure we identify this. Let's make sure that we communicate with X customer or X client. Um, and then from there, it's just really a lot of Slack and Trello and emails of just like understanding and making sure things are moving. A lot of it is honestly like now I just take a back seat and kind of again, like making sure that if I'm CC'd on emails, I'm just kind of making sure I'm reading all this, trying to understand like if I can provide value to the you know production staff. Got it. So very, very much so like making sure things are moving forward yeah. um, and that it's at a high quality. What, what do you feel like, what do you feel like you want your day to be like? Like if an ideal yeah, world, yeah, 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 you yeah. didn't get tapped on the shoulder yep. however many times yep. or pulled in different directions that you said, this is what I want to spend this first half and this is the yeah, second. I think where I'm best suited is in that initial like launch meeting. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like, uh, like courting new customers um, and just kind of walking them through the process and setting the expectation of how we work. And, and, and long-term that's really what I want to be able to do is like going and meeting with, you know, artist brand, I hate saying influencer now and, mm -hmm. um, and, and kind of like, you know, helping them build brands, like yeah. really from start to finish and just letting them know like, Hey, we can do this and we have all the tools set up in place to be able to do this. We can kind of like collaborate or, you know, start joint ventures on how we can build some of these brands. You know, it's funny about the influencer word. Yeah. I have, uh, was also against it until you start seeing some numbers. Yeah. Especially on the merch side. One of our biggest customers is an influencer. Yeah, like it's nothing to joke wise. about anymore. It's not, it's like they are now like the benchmark of like, hey, this is the type of customer we want to work with. Uh -huh. Because they're able to allow us to do what we're the best at and they do what they're the best at. And that's what like creates an incredible partnership from, you know, factory and, and client. Because they have built trust with us that we can get done the product that they need to get to their liking and on time. and that level of trust and then them backing it with orders upon orders. And I mean, it's like, it's like crazy the numbers that, yeah. that they're doing. And it's like incredible to see how they're doing it. You yeah. Know? So it's, it's definitely no joke. Yeah. Um, you're one step up from the screen printer. So I know you are, uh, having a lot of supply chain problems too. Yeah. Can you talk about that or where you see it? Well, I think, uh, one, supply chain problem I'm having right now is just like, I guess, fluctuation in pricing, which has made it like more difficult for me to like have- And what, like fabrics? Yeah, exactly, in fabric. For example, there's a, uh, you know, a cotton shortage, I guess, right now because of the issues that have been going on in China with like one of the cotton crops over there. Um, mm -hmm. They were having some slave, I don't, I don't wanna speak on too much on it, but there's like a, you know, slave camp that was happening um, and it got kind of exposed. And so mm. essentially all of the, the cotton that was coming from China was then, I guess, like there was put like a, you know, a kind of ixnay on it. And now the region of China and Bangladesh all bought all the cotton in all the world, which caused the prices to go up like pretty significantly. Um, and it makes it difficult when we run programs. Like for example, one of our main programs is we've developed our own line of like private label blanks. So we're buying like bulk of this fabric, but there's preset costs. But these preset costs are contingent upon materials that we buy from like outside vendors and now they've been huge price increases but we had to like it's harder to 
expl tell that story to our customer, they have no idea why there's price increases. And anytime there's an uptick in price, they're like, well, why? Why can't you just eat it? And it's like, wait, like, it's not that we easy. We try to. <laughs> we try. <laughs> I try my best, but I'm like, I literally can't make this make sense right now. So, so wait, what, what's the wholesale blanks that you guys are making all about then? So, you know, one piece of the business and I guess like a hole in the market that I saw when I started, when I was doing freelance production, it's like 90% of my customers are wanting to make like their favorite t-shirt, their favorite hoodie, their favorite sweatpant. Um, and, you know, over the last 11 years, I've seen probably, you know, thousands of t-shirts that I've, you know, either sampled, developed, whatever it may be, but they're all like in the same space of these three specific, like, I guess, fits, and these, like, I guess, what, like, two fabrics that what people would do. So what I did is I'm like, let me make this, like, a turnkey system for people where we've developed, you know, a line of these blanks. They're pre-developed, so all of the, like, development work, you know you know this work that needed to be done for your wife's scrub line. Yeah, it's so, a lot. And it's a, it's a labor-intensive process. It takes several weeks, um, you know, to be able to get it dialed in to be exactly where you're liking. So. A, it helps save on costs for any of those fees associated with that development process. Um, but it's really like a turnkey system where it's like, okay, you pick this off the rack, you can choose any color you want, and it's done you know, in a three to four week lead time. Got it, interesting. And this is what you can sell to your customers. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So uh, we use this with uh, several streetwear brands. Um, a lot of merch companies now have been transitioning over to this. Um, and as well as some of the influencers. They just come in, it's like a plug and play system. I like this t-shirt, I like this fit. I just wanna put my logos and my labels in it. No problem. And it's like pretty turnkey. They, they like the fabric, they like the fit. They can make minor adjustments if they want to. Um, and it's just again, like making, like my whole thought process is like, what's the least amount of friction to get to like them buying something and right. like creating turnkey solutions for them. So it's easy, they can still feel like it's theirs and they can go, and again, if you wanna come tell that story made in LA, whatever it may be, we can help you, you know, build that out. You know? That's pretty cool. Yeah. Do you think that's the coolest project you've done? Uh, I think that's the coolest. I think it's like just the most rewarding project. Okay. I don't know if coolest project, like I've had some incredibly cool projects, some that unfortunately I can't like talk about, but they've been like just people that I've respected, you uh -huh. know, like people that I've looked up to in this space, whether it be like in music or in fashion or had opportunities to make customs for, you know, I again, hate saying like for celebrities or whatever it is. It's like, those have been like the moments where I'm like, man, this is crazy. And I get to like, you know, have yeah. an interaction with this person. And then I think most importantly, like the respect, you know, that I get from this person being like, yo, I like something that you, you worked on. You know, Got it. you were able to like look at something that I wanted to produce and help bring that to life. That's cool. Yeah. What do you, what do you feel like something you would have done earlier in your business would be? Like if you could go back or at some point. If I could go back, I guess this is a question that is knowing that I have like the amount of employees that I have right now is uh, focused on culture, like from day one, like really just like- What does that mean? Um, I think as an entrepreneur, as like you wanna call it visionary, uh, I've like just, my head's always down in like the trenches of like trying to make this work. Mm -hmm. And I think it's easy to lose sight of like the people that, you know, are along this journey with you and making sure that they feel like this is home. And you know, it, unintentionally, I just, you know, 
sometimes would not pay attention to the little details or the little things that like, you know, make people warm and fuzzy. And, sure. And uh, I think one thing that I'm really working on right now is trying to work on like just my relationships with all of, you know, every it, all the way down to, you know, the sewing employees or, you know, the trimming and finishing ladies. Like I want to have a relationship with all of them and, you know, make them proud to go home and be like, yo, this is where I work. And that's been something that's like, I wish I would have taken more time to like focus on that at an earlier stage because then it would have been like I, I just want to lot wish I would have it's adopted funny. those it's funny you mentioned this yeah. um, yesterday I was reading this article and it was saying it, it was this guy who sold a couple companies his name is Jason Lemkin um, more in the tech scene but he was talking about things I would have done better as a CEO then yeah. and one of the well actually two of the four points were very people based Yeah, and it was you know, thanking your team more. Yep. It was uh, showing appreciation more. It was, you know, maybe spot bonuses yep. for something going over and above and beyond. Um, you know, hitting five million, throwing a party, mm-hmm. people can leave early, pizza randomly, that that kind of stuff. Yep. Which, yeah, you you're spot on, right? Yep. All you're so focused on next step, next step, next step, yep. next next metric, next yep. dollar amount, whatever. But it's it takes a village. It so. takes. Yeah, it's tough. Again, just getting outside of that headspace of like, wait, I need to make sure that my people like love it here. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, cause I don't like retaining them is like actually like a super fundamental piece. Yeah. Retention to, is, is to, to running. And I think that's, you know, it's touched in traction. It's a huge piece of the like EOS system. So yeah. it's like, <laughs> it's like 100%. Um, how do you figure out how to price? Pricing is just such a, difficult thing because it's yeah. it's time it's materials yep. it's overhead it's uh it's always changing you never get it right but yeah. you hope you move in the right direction yeah how do you think about it when you somebody comes to a project because each of these projects i gotta mention are so unique yeah that's i think that's been the most difficult piece i think for us is just like remaining competitive while also making sure that we're hitting our like margins on our bottom line. Sure. Um, and I think because we run our business a lot different than I guess, uh, want to call it like a mom and pop factory. There's a lot more responsibilities, um, like financially that we have to make sure and take insurance, healthcare, yeah. like all these things that we like want to provide and be proud of. They also cost a lot of money. So, mm-hmm. um, remaining competitive, um, as well as like, making sure we hit our bottom line is like, I guess Charles and I like rip each other's hair out all the time. Cause I'm like, dude, we're like, this is that. And this is like, whatever. I'm this all, job, we don't make any. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, he, he does an incredible job because like there's one thing we had like a aha moment. Like I have big dreams and he has big realities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what helps make the business go around because I'm just like, no, these are my friends. Let's hook them up, you mm-hmm. know, like, or trust me, bro. But he's like, Kobe, like we can't, do that you know what I mean and it's like it took a long time and like several arguments of like dude trust me I'm like no like I can't go on your trust you know what I mean like he's more a numbers guy and again like KPIs and all that that's his like world and I'm not I'm just like dude let's just get it done the best way because like I care about like the, the relationship right. and the brand and the and at the end of the day, like it's not it's not scalable. So, but do you uh, like somebody comes to you says you know we need a thousand uh, sweatpants for example? Yeah. Um, how do you figure out on how to price? Like, is it 
you know, everything is just so custom and unique. Yeah, it right. Makes there's it really zipper difficult. here. There's pocket here. Like, what, is there a price sheet that you've tried to create that's based on time, or is it just looking at somebody it's, else's? So that, we've got a pretty good grasp on like the sewing operations. So uh, the head of our sewing department actually has like I guess developed a cost sheet for like operations. So for example, like on a T-shirt. There's a few different operations. Each operation costs, you know, X amount of dollars per op- X amount of cents or dollars per operation per operator. Mm-hmm. So we'll like literally, there's like a formula, like okay, as in what it costs you yeah, exactly, for their exactly, labor. Exactly, okay. exactly what it costs us labor-wise, and then material-wise, obviously, like we're not like enti- like a fully vertical factory, meaning we still go buy materials from vendors. So yeah. again, we're just purchasing these materials and then you know adding our markup whether it, you know, be whatever, you know, like to, 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 to get to these costs. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's really nailed down what you think is the time to cut. Yeah. So, you know, to label all that stuff Mm -hmm. and that's the goal plus the materials to try to cost it out. I mean, it's a fair way. I was having a really good discussion with a guy, um, used to make a lot of plastic parts and he was so based on time. Yeah. He was like, this takes me X amount of minutes. Mm-hmm. This is what it costs based on the rent and everything else that's yeah. thrown in. And this is what we're going to try to price out. But of course, it's still, you know, you're always trying to figure it out. Yeah. So, it's, an, it's it's something we're like bullish on figuring out every day is just, it changes also with like the fluctuation of labor laws and increases yeah. in minimum wage. Like it's... And also, like the other thing is, like, we don't we don't pay our sewers minimum wage. Like, all of our sewers are like experienced, several years in the industry. So it's like, I'm paying experienced like people that are trade craftsmen. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like they, it's not like they're coming out. Yeah, we'll work for minimum wage. It's like in order for us to like output some of the quality, we are investing in our employees. Sure. Um, and, and and a lot of like our like man, like laborist staff have been with us. I, some people have been with us for five years. Um, and they, they love it here because like they have security where I know there's always going to be work and we take care of them. So it's, yeah, it all adds up. <laughs> it all adds up. It definitely all adds up. Yeah. Um, all right. Last question. Who, who do you, who do you follow? Is there anything or interesting things that you've been reading or leaders or TikTok yeah. accounts? Hmm. <laughs> it could be anything brands yeah, or anything. I mean, cool. recently, honestly, um, I think I have two people I have, well, I'll say uh, my other partners uh, in the business uh, is Dustin White and Mark Bashara. They're from a company called Muholland Investment Group. And this last year, they've been the best thing that's ever happened to our business, just like leadership wise, because like they've been able to give us like a wide angle view at like diff- and a different approach to certain things and just mm-hmm. see it differently. Um, and the leadership that they provided has just been like, I don't know where else I would get. I, there's not a book that I could like read. Was there some things that you stick out that you could share that was game changing for you guys? Um, the importance of relationships and communication. Just like my partner Dustin, he'll, he finds his way into any and every room you can think of. And by the end of the meeting, he's this person's best friend. And to the point where like they're on a personal relationship and it's just like how he does that, I literally don't understand. And it's just like incredible, which and it's led us into some funny situations where like him and I are with a bunch of rappers and it's just like, how do we get here? Cause we're like, again, like the two, uh, 
to two white guys that are like in the room of all these dudes that are just like, you know what I'm saying? And we like afterwards and we're like, this is so funny. You know what I mean? This uh -huh. is like a funny thing for us to, but like they all, they, they love us. They're like, oh, we're part of the, the family now. You know what I mean? And it's just like, he's very personal. He's a super personable. personal guy. Yeah. And like he, he cares about people and it's his leadership and his like, I guess the way that he like, you know, treats me and treats other people is like been something I've been able to like, you know, pull some of that game from, I guess you could call it. like, I've really adopted a lot of his principles to like our own thing. And it's like, teach me so much. And then I think the other person would be Simon Sinek. I really love like yeah, same. him. Like he really Starts just like, with why? Yeah, dude, yeah. I, I read, we're going to um, drop a link, uh, down yeah. below Chris for the, that's such a great start with yeah. why video. Yeah. Um, leaders eat last was really good for me. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, there's, there's a, I mean, I just, again, I enjoy like him as a speaker. I just enjoy his books. We uh, tried to get him, uh, yeah. for print hustles conf of which, yeah. October 22nd, 23rd in Chicago. Don't forget your tickets. He was something, it was something like 50, 80 K. I, I can't uh, remember. It was some like astronomical number. Him, by the way. Like, maybe. <laughs> it was just, yes. I mean, yeah. obviously, yeah. you know, he's done some incredible work. He's very large now. Yeah. I didn't know he was that big. I just like happened to see the video. I'm sure like yeah. millions of others. Yeah. But that's really cool. Definitely yeah. watch that video too. Thanks so much for the time. Dude, thank you for having me and like, appreciate it <laughs> this is awesome uh colby harwood from may brands you guys can follow him on instagram you can follow may brands we'll drop a link down below too so if you need some custom work some beautiful custom work for whatever of which there's some really cool blanks we were talking about this before actually hold on uh with just blanks and people building out their own blanks too oh, yes. like you guys yes can you say what this whole trend is yeah so again with the supply chain shortages with a lot of these blank vendors, uh, a lot of, I guess, companies who are decorators have been now approaching us being like, listen, we move X amount of units of this particular blank in the market. Like, what would be the cost for us to like you know, duplicate this style? Because A, we know it works, we know our customers like it, but we can't be running into issues where we can't get the blanks because then we can't do business. So we're kind of, creating programs. Um, I, I have a sister factory that we work with down down in Mexico um, that we're able to be more competitive with some of the, you know, bigger volume blank uh, companies that, you know, are on the SS Active Wares or the Alpha Broders. And Got it. <clears throat> uh, those programs are extremely exciting because it's giving them the opportunity to have a, a proprietary product for to add to their to their line. Right. Um, so yeah, it's something it really super positions exciting. Yeah. companies as a more of a leader, and, exactly, uh, more of a exactly. unique perspective, and you know, instead of something that yep. anybody else can get to. Exactly, exactly. Super cool. Okay, guys, Colby's got to go. <laughs> Make brands. Thank you guys so much. No, thank I you, really man. Appreciate, I appreciate it. You. Don't forget to listen every Thursday. We're dropping a new episode of Print Tables Productions Podcast. We will see you guys in the next one.